What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are joined this week by Dr. Chris Winter. Dr. Winter is a neurologist and world-renowned sleep specialist with a focus on athletic performance. Uh, what type of focus, you ask? Well, he's worked with more teams across the MLB, NBA, NHL, and NFL than you can shake a stick at, including, but not limited to, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, Chicago Bulls, the New York Rangers, and Chicago Bears. I mean, it's a massive, massive list. Uh, I know he's also worked with the U.S. Women's National Team. So an incredible authority on the topic of sleep and sleep optimization and sleep for performance. Also the author of two great books. I've had the fortune of reading one of them. Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It. Again, great read. If you're looking for a way to ease in to better understanding your sleep and, and, and how to start improving it, highly recommend this. He also has written, and I, I can't wait to get my hands on this one, The Rested Child, Why Your Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help. And if you're in the Virginia area, he also owns and operates the Charlottesville Neurology and Sleep Medicine Clinic and CNSM Consulting. So he had me laughing for most of this conversation, and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to. So if you're in the Virginia area, please do look him up. I also have no doubt that you're going to enjoy this one. So with that said, if you are enjoying the show and you're saying, hey, Ken, I would love to help, but how can I? Well, hell. Leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening. And if you're so inclined and you'd like to help support the show, head on over to Patreon where you can do just that. Uh, we're looking to build out a space to the community, provide unique content, access to moi. So go ahead, check out the show notes. We've got a link there. And look, in all seriousness, if you want to contribute and keep the show growing, greatly appreciate it. All right. Panhandling over once again without... Further ado, let's get this thing rolling. Please welcome Dr. Chris Winter to the show. Here we go. We're going up and down, over and over, over and over. It's the same old thing, up and down, over and under, under the Dr. Winter, welcome to the show. We're uh, we're really excited to have you on today. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation. It's very kind of you. Absolutely, absolutely. And we were just talking a little bit beforehand. Um, thoroughly enjoyed your book. And I was, <laughs> as I was saying, uh, some of this some of this literature can uh, can be a little dense to get through, and uh, it can be a little bit more of a reference guide. What I enjoyed about yours was well, number one, I think your personality comes out. Pretty clearly. I had the audio book, which I enjoyed listening to. But, um, you know, like like a lot of people, I think I've really dove headfirst into trying to better understand sleep because I wasn't sleeping well. Awesome. That's um, step one, isn't it? That is step one. But it was nice to read a book on sleep that kind of, you know what I mean, uh, looked at the lighter side of things when you had an opportunity to. So uh, it made it fun learning about sleep, kind of helped, uh, you know, hopefully dissipate some of my own anxiety <laughs> around sleeping poorly. Um, but maybe, maybe we could start there. One thing that I took from your book was that it seems like there's a number of people, and I would love to know, you know, your take on this. Uh, it sounds like people don't do a great job of understanding how well they're actually sleeping, whether that be sleeping well or sleeping poorly. C can we kind of talk a little bit about that phenomenon and, and why that exists? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's an interesting thing to think about sleep and the way we determine good or bad. And, and that's mm. something I wrote in my new book about kids. I know you're the father of, of several children that... <laughs> Good student, bad student, good swimmer, bad swimmer, I don't know, good person, bad person. We all have metrics for the way we determine these types of things. And I think that we don't do a good job of defining good metrics sometimes for sleep. So mm. if your metric is speed with which you fall asleep, that you know, speed may be a great metric for a swimmer. How fast can you get from this side of the pool to that? Speed. You yeah. know, techniques in there and whether you or a good sport or a bad sport, all those things are fantastic. But bottom line, speed is probably a good metric. I think speed's a terrible metric for sleep, how fast we hmm. fall asleep. 
And for a lot of people, that is, that's the metric. And maybe we teach that as parents. Okay, get to sleep fast. If you don't get to sleep fast, dad'll look in on you. And if he catches you with a comic book and a flashlight, you're in big trouble. And if you don't get to sleep fast, you're going to fail your spelling test and not make the basketball. I don't know what you tell you, but people tell their kids. So that's right. That's amazing. I try to talk to my kids as little as possible. So. <laughs> Me too. <That's> right. <laughs> try to talk to my kids a little bit and touch patients as, as little as yeah, possible. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, but I, so I think these things are really important in the sense that if we don't define what healthy, good, positive X is, then we can get off on really bad tangents. And so you know, it's, I, I really appreciate what you said about my book. I think that there are a couple populations of people out there searching for sleep answers. Mm. One might be a group of individuals who are struggling to sleep, maybe like yourself. And, and, and maybe my book would, would help with that. Maybe my book would irritate somebody. I don't know. I think there's also <laughs> a group of people, I always call them, my name for it is Jenny Trauma Surgeon. I have no idea where that came from. But Jenny Trauma Surgeon thinks as long as she gets 30 minutes of sleep when she's on a call, she's capable of taking her spleen out tomorrow, you know, yeah. having not slept in 36 hours. So I'm not sure my book would be the best book for Jenny Trauma Surgeon. That might be a book like Mount Walker's book where – or even Ariana Huffington's, where you don't believe in sleep. This is all ridiculous. Just get a few hours, have a cup of coffee or seven, and you're going to be fine. Hmm. No, you're not, actually. So there is a spectrum of I don't give a shit about sleep versus I care so much about sleep, it almost paralyzes me. Right. I, I think that my book might speak to that second group in a way, like you said, the, the whole point of it was, let's sit down and have a latte or a beer together, whatever your drink of choice is, um, neither before bed, perhaps. But <laughs> we're going to sit down and have this nice beverage and, and uh, on a pleasant day, and we're just going to talk like buddies, not yeah. like the professor with the bow tie and, and whatnot. So I, I, I do hope that there is a communication that happens between me and the reader or me and the listener, in, in your case, that is positive. Yeah. And maybe even if it doesn't answer all questions, get some seeds planted for sure. Well, and, and you know, one of the things that I walked away from that feeling was need to be really clear about whether or not you actually have, um, like, let's say like a sleep disorder, right? Yeah. One of the things that I, that I took from your book was a lot of these issues that folks have with sleep could be tied back to, in, in some respects, anxiety sure. around sleep. Um, and, and that's so, real. Just to be, yeah. I, I sometimes that gets sort of put out there as you don't have a problem; it's just all in your head. No, it's a big problem. Um, yeah. It's just maybe a, a bit of a different problem than what you think it is, and that's a delicate little subject to get around. Um, you know, as a neurologist, we were always tasked in the ER with determining people who truly couldn't see versus people who were faking blindness or truly couldn't move their left arm or faking weakness. And we have all kinds of little tricks to figure that out. Once we figured out that you can see just fine, but you're pretending not to be able to see, that doesn't mean you don't have a problem. Right. It just means maybe the problem is a little bit different from what you think it is or what you're telling people, but it's still a problem that we need to work together without judgment and fix. Nobody mm. is like, I'm bored. I'm going to pretend like I can't see and go to the ER. Like, there's something going on in all those cases. We just need to figure out what that origin is. And sleep's no yeah. different. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, one of the things that I uh, enjoyed as well is, like, you likened it to other just, like, necessary um, – Yeah. <laughs> what's the word? I mean, uh, like, foundational – like, hierarchy of needs. Like, foundational needs. Like, yeah. sleep is no different than your need to eat, your need to yeah. have water. Like, you know, it's it's proven you need sleep to live. Um, right, so it's, right. it's again, to, to your earlier point, like maybe it's not about like, am I good or bad at it? <laughs> it's like, right. It, it might be your interpretation of it. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and, and no, the idea that there are people out there who can't or don't sleep is, is not real. Mm. And if you put individuals into, you know, the David Blaine situation of he's going to sit himself in an acrylic clear box in Times Square and not sleep for two weeks there's going to be massive 
debilitation and pride. Nobody's going to walk by David Blaine and oh no, I, I love David Blaine. He's got the greatest <laughs> ideas of stuff. In fact, I remember a long time ago having communications with his people about him wanting to break the sleep deprivation record. And kidding me. and I was kind of like, man, I can't help you. This is this is like I want to break the oxygen record of holding my breath. Like, I, <laughs> No, I'm really not want to be a part of that. But you know, so it kind, kind of goes against my core <laughs> mission. Right, as yeah, I swore an oath at some point in my career. It's like walking by this guy, you know, on day three, nobody's gonna look at him in this box and think there's nothing going on with him. I mean, he's gonna look like he is struggling to stay awake. I mean, my my record for sleep deprivation was 48 hours, just because at some point in college I realized, wow, I've been up for like 32 hours. I'm yeah. almost at two days. And so I did it. And I think at the end of it, I was like hallucinating my mother's voice telling me to clean my room. It was so terrifying. I was like, I need to go to bed now. You know what? I have this really distinct memory. So we had this thing where, you know, undergrads could work reunions. And, and, and I went to Princeton. Reunions is massive. People might not believe it, but it's like, I think the second biggest Budweiser order behind the Indianapolis 500. Like it's nuts. Like 25,000 people come back. It's crazy. Or Princeton reunions. Yeah, I mean, it is like you you might have suffered through four years if you didn't enjoy it, but you stuck it out so that you could come back to reunions once every five years. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but like so, you know, you would get on a, a reunions crew and uh, over like the course of the three, four days, you'd just be at the bar. You're at the bar, you're moving kegs, like you're helping people get to the like anything, you know, an alumni needs, you're there to serve. But it's an all night party. So you're up till, I don't know, three, four in the morning. And then you got to yep. start working again at like, you know, I don't know, six. Yeah, the football game the next morning, <laughs> the tailgate. Well, and then of course, so what it really means is there's a bunch of football meatheads who got assigned to work like, you know, the fifth reunion. So when they're off the clock, they're not like, well, hey, let me go get rested up. They're like, well, where can I go drink? So but to your point, so I think I did like a 48 hour bender one time, kind of unintentionally. Yep. And I just, I have this distinct memory of my like the cartilage in my knees just like hurting just like all my joints just like walking around and i was like oh man like something is really off like and i was in the best shape of my life but i just like it's debilitating it is, it is. It's, <laughs> so i don't it's, know how david blaine is doing anything it's 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 an awful feeling and you know the world record for deprivation is 11 days this guy named Randy Gardner at Stanford. And when you talk to Bill DeMint, the guy who ran the study, he's like, yeah, it's kind of a sham. He said, Randy Gardner did not go 11 days without sleep. Like, we couldn't mm. stop him from sleeping. He would, you know, fall asleep playing a pinball machine or something. So sleep deprivation is a lot harder than the, you know, 42-year-old woman in Lululemon leggings who looks fantastic, you know, 10 years younger than her age, who says, I haven't slept in six months. No, sister, that's that's not the problem we're dealing with in the clinic today. Uh, so yeah. let's sit and talk a little bit. So so what is that? Um, because like, I'll, I'll give you an example. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, people might be surprised by this. I'm actually not one to like track my, you know, biometric health. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm becoming much more interested in it, but I, you know, I've never, I've almost didn't want to go down that road because I didn't know how I would respond to getting that much data. Yeah. But one of the things that I did recently is I got an eight sleep and yeah, I got yeah. it because I, you know, and I like the chili pads awesome too. And I'm, I run very hot. Yep. I bought it because I wanted my bed cooled. That's been fantastic. It. But it came with all this tracking information that I, not what I signed up for, but it was interesting. Sure. And I had an experience this morning where I was like, wow, I've, you know, I, I don't know if I slept great, but I woke up and, you know, my, or maybe it was the opposite. I'm trying to remember. It was like, my sleep score was great, but I don't feel great. Um, and like, look, that could be a little bit about the tracking technology, but I, I've i even kind of experienced that internal conflict of like, hey, something external says I had a good night's sleep, but I don't know I don't if I necessarily yeah. believe it or feel it. So so what, what kind of is going on there for folks? Because it sounds like this is something that people suffer with on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it's funny. At the end of my new book, um, I'm a huge fan of Sam Shem. He wrote this book called The House of God. It was the book that St. Elsewhere was based on. And when you're a, a young doctor, everybody talks about the rules of the house of God, um, which is sort of an appendix in the back of the book, all these little, like you can't find a fever if you don't take a temperature kind of thing, implying that 
you can discharge somebody faster if you never take their temperature because you'll never find, you know, just it's, it's satirical, but there's some truth to these types of things. Yeah. And so I, I, I was a huge fan of that, that book growing up. And um, so I put the rules of you know, the house of sleep or something in my, at the end of my new book, just had to fight with my editor to get it in there. Cause it doesn't make any sense. Like what well, makes sense to me? And I want them in there. But one of the rules <laughs> of the house of sleep are, and we say these in the clinic all the time. I mean, goofy stuff like you can't fall asleep, hanging sheetrock. That's one of them. Meaning, you know, carpenters can have the worst sleep dysfunctions, but they're busy in their job. So it's kind of hard yeah. to fall asleep, hanging sheetrock. So you don't fall asleep until you get home. And everybody's like, well, he's a carpenter hanging sheetrock. Of course he's going to be sleepy. But so you kind of hide your problem there versus if that guy stopped, putting sheetrock up and was became an accountant everybody be like what's wrong with you? you fall asleep all the time in your office right because he's not busy but one of right. them is the the secret rules of the how the laws of the house of god is sleep perception and sleep reality are two very different things and, and i think mm. what you're getting at is exactly that this idea that i had a terrible night last night we, we slept in this terrible hotel it was a lot of traffic noise i man, i was lucky if i got 30 minutes of sleep last night might be very different from what your little sleep tracker on your wrist says. Oh, you got you mm-hmm. know, six hours or vice versa. You think you slept great and you barely slept at all. Um, I mean, and you see little glimpses of this. If your partner, you're sitting there watching, you know, selling sunset or whatever your show is you're watching right now. And, and, and your, your partner falls asleep and then wakes up a little bit and, and is like, what's going on? And I can understand why Christine is so mad at Sherelle or whatever. And like, well, sweetheart, you've been asleep for the last 30 minutes. No, I've not. Well, yeah, yeah. Like you were, you were out cold. Like you know, and my wife will fall asleep like holding a phone, like in mid whatever she was getting ready to touch. I like walk by, like, what were you getting ready to touch on your phone? Like, that's, it's like you're, it's like the you know the frozen, like you looked at the Hydra or something. But anyway, right, um, right, right. Or Medusa. I mean, so anyway, um, so the, but those perceptions are fascinating to me, and one of the things that we know exacerbates that is anxiety. So that mm. really becomes a circular engine of I'm nervous about my sleep and my tracker says this, and oh my God, I'm really not sleeping, which makes my perception of what's going on even worse. And so it can get to sort of a full on panic for some people um, who want to do the right thing for their body. And, right. and that's really one of the reasons why the book hopefully has a disarming feel to it. You know, I always tell people the last thing that person should read is Matt's book. Because if you're scared, you can't sleep, and you read all the terrible things that happen when you don't sleep in Matt's book, it's not going to help you. Right. Um, it's kind of kind of situation. Um, sorry, again, Matt's book is 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 the Bible. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where you need the Bible, but you might need a few little Sunday school classes first before you tackle, you know, Leviticus. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. Leviticus, it sounds heavier than, you know, something yeah, it like does sound heavier. Paul. <laughs> you know, anyway. Well, and, and I, that is one of the feelings that I had walking away from that book. It's like, all right, I need to, you know what, you need to chill out a little bit. Well, and a lot of folks who are listening to this, so to go back to those of us who are parents and those of us who are probably starting to commute again, a lot of people can relate to the, oh, I just woke up, it's two in the morning. I've got three hours before I need to be up. It's like, I, that is like the sort of anxiety that someone like me, a person, that's, that's what I have with sleep. It's that midnight wake up. Oh, there's only so much time left. Like you start to get in a little bit of a panic. And then before you know it, like you can't fall back asleep. Um, and so I was really interested to hear in your book, like all the ways and kind of like some of the tactics that you can kind of try and disarm yourself. And I almost, well, let me ask you is, is that sort of anxiety, is that something that you find to be really common Yes, in the patients that you see? Oh, absolutely. And, and the great thing is, is that there, when you do things, when you do this as long as I have, there is a kind of person that comes to our clinic. They mm. are successful. They're interesting. They're multifaceted. They got their fingers in all kinds of stuff. They were the captain of this and the president of that. There is something about that insomnia phenotype that is positive. I mean, you're the kind of person that when you determine that there is a bug in the software that you're developing, you fix it. When there's discrepancies in the numbers of the accounting that you do, you address it. So Mm. that type A, detail-oriented, great leader, big thinker, lots of stuff going on between the ears – 
works really well in people's lives in terms of, I think, success and climbing ladders and, and helping people be happy. I think when that individual walks into their bedroom and turns a light off and lies down on a pillow, getting outside of that personality type and more into the guy who's really into just like hanging out and eating some Cheetos and playing some World Cup. You know, like I don't really work. I think working is not a great thing. Thing for me, it was never really my thing. You know, like you know, right, right, right. You know like that, that. You know, to be able to flip the switch from personality one to that guy is really hard. It's hard to shut that off. It's hard to shut it off, and so, and I don't really want you to shut it off. I just want you to sort of work with it instead of against it. You know, because mm. the people we see in our clinic kind of make the world go round. You know, and so. It's just sometimes that can be kind of a, a, a heavy weight to bear when you go to bed, when you don't really understand sleep. And your your metric is, I've got to sleep quickly so that I can be the best, all those things that we just talked about the next day. Yeah. So for, for that type of individual, I mean, where do you start? Well, I think you start with, you know, rule number one is that there's no such thing as not being able to sleep. So you've got a problem, but let's make sure we've defined the problem properly. And the problem is not, you've come to me so that I can figure out why you can't sleep and make it so. Hmm. Um, it, you know, it's sort of, I always call that the Michael Jackson pathway of you know, sleep success, which is Michael Jackson, king of pop, I assume went to a doctor at some point and said, getting ready to go out on the road again, rehab my image, which needs a little help. Uh, you know, I'm doing some new dance numbers, trying to remember them, big pyrotechnics. I mean, I don't know. It's like I've never seen a Michael Jackson concert in my life. Yeah, all, all know, the Michael I'm Jackson a big, stuff. big thriller yeah. fan. I love the, I love the picture <laughs> on the back with the little baby tiger. I always thought that was an interesting touch. But so to me, so the doctor, and so he said, I am not being able to sleep. So at that point, a doctor could have said, I'm sorry, you're struggling, Michael. Um, you're sleeping. We just got to get it so that you're feeling it better. It's more consistent. It makes you feel better or whatever it is. But that was never done. It was kind of like, well, here, take these pills. And right. they didn't work. And he came back. Well, you know, these pills you're giving me are great, but King of Pop needs something a little bit more. Great. We got these thriller pillars back here. We'll give you these pills and see what happens. They don't work. Mm. So eventually a surgeon's coming to his house to anesthetize him every night. Dear God, like that was quite a leap. Is that what made was going to, on? Yeah. So it was a surgeon came to his house, giving him propofol. We call that milk of amnesia. It's the, <laughs> it's what they give you when you get your colonoscopy and you're sitting there talking to your doc. Hey doc. And the next thing you know, you're waking up like, okay, Chris, it's all done. Your colonoscopy is fine. And you know, oh, and it was like just instant. It's like somebody spliced out a section of your life and just taped them together. Right. Yeah, which was shocking to me because apparently during my, not to talk to your viewers, listeners about colonoscopies, but um, no, so, you know, during sure a, mine, it was kind of like that same sort of situation. I woke up and the guy was like, you're all fine, Chris. And then my wife said, God, you were uh, out of control. Like, what are you talking about? He said, when you came out, like you were walking around with a blanket around your, your neck saying everybody telling everybody winter is coming winter is coming <laughs> and you're acting like some character out of game of thrones and you thought it was hilarious I'm like i was doing that like they said yes we, we were having trouble actually getting you to get back into the bed you're probably that's terrifying patient. i mean that's like right out yeah. of college that's right back that's the princeton days right there right oh man i got some sleepwalking stories <laughs> i could tell you so anyway so you know the step one is define the problem you can sleep yeah it'd be impossible for you not to so let's figure out why it is that you're having so much difficulty initiating or maybe so much difficulty even perceiving it because your wife's mm. saying you sleep pretty well, your watch is saying your eight sleep bed is saying you're sleeping pretty well, but you're not feeling it. Why? Um, and, and that's probably a really good place to start because I need to get you outside of the box as quickly as possible of I'm not sleeping. Um, yeah. And that can be hard. That can be very, very hard for some people, because that feeling of not being able to sleep has been there so long, it's almost become a part of who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like 
you know, I, I, I believe that every child, every adult has to have their thing. You know, he's a great athlete. That woman's a great uh, trauma surgeon. He's a good cook. This guy's a great, you know, joke teller, whatever it is. And for some people, yeah. their thing becomes they're the worst sleepers that you would ever know. And mm. when you start questioning, I, yeah, I know, you, know that person. You sleep pretty well, actually. You, yeah. your, your sleep's all right. Like that's fundamentally, it's like, Eh, you're not as Christian as you think you are. Well, yes, I am. Like that's like questioning religion or questioning paternity. Like it really digs right. deep in some people. So you got to be careful with that sometimes. And and if you want to you want to see evidence of this, if you look up my first book on Amazon and look at the reviews, you can sort them out based upon the stars. So you do the one star. I just want to see the one star reviews of Chris's book and. As you read them, I actually did an academic lecture on insomnia at a place based upon the one-star reviews of that first book, and you can see just the anger, the terror, the frustration, the the hopelessness that, and that's mm. what you got to you got to start making cracks in that shield pretty quickly. I think. Yeah, that's step one. Step one. Yeah, you know because. It's funny, and I imagine like there's a lot of folks out there like myself, well-intentioned, sure, uh, trying to do all the right things. Yeah, um, and I can see how it's very easy to veer down a path where it's like you know um, you're you're making it a win-loss, like yeah, you know, and it's like oh god, I didn't I didn't do all the right things, or it's like oh shit, I woke up at two, like here we go, it's you know, it's all ruined and that anxiety can get kicked up in so many different ways. So to your point, it's like, not the, and the anxiety people. is a necessary component because if I talk to somebody at dinner party, Hey, I'm a sleep doctor. How long does it take you to fall asleep? Somebody says that takes me I don't know, two hours. My first question, mm. how do you feel about that? If somebody says, well, I don't care. I love it. So I work with a lot right. of professional sports teams and I, I find raising children and dealing with sleep. There's always a great sports analogy. And to me, the sports analogy, and I wrote about in the first book, is this guy, um, Steve Blass, the guy who's sort of the first sort of major sports person to really characterize the yips. You know, suddenly oh. the baseball player who since he was you know, knee high to a grasshopper, could throw a ball to the first base or throw the ball to the catcher, suddenly can't. Right. Steve Sachs, when I was growing up, I was a big Dodger fan. Steve Sachs was a shortstop, and all of a sudden the guy could not make the throw from shortstop to first base. I mean, comically hmm. bad. And to your point, it's like you said, the worst thing for that person to do is try harder. Right. It, it, that, that, and, I th- and I think that that was the Orioles manager, like Cal Ripken Sr., said to somebody who was struggling with that, try easier. You got to hmm. step back from it. And I think that when you really push down on sleep and try harder – you know, Chris, I'm trying to sleep. I, I I go to bed and I try to do everything. Or I try, try, try. Like you got to stop that. It's kind of like if I invite you over for dinner. You know, I'm gonna try to get hungry. I'm gonna try real hard right. to get hungry. No, you're not. Yeah. Just, you'll live your life. And if you come over and you don't want to eat the fish I've cooked, slaved over for the last three hours, you don't want to eat my fish. You go right ahead and don't eat that fish. But I'll hold it against <laughs> you. But you know, I work so hard on that stuff. So anyway. I love it. Well, and, and maybe that's an interesting avenue to go down. Like, can we talk a little bit how you are working with some of these professional sports teams and athletes today? Is it yeah? Is it the same approach that you would take to an executive who walks into your office, or are you working to put together plans, helping like outfit their sleep environment? Like, what what does that sort of collaboration look like? I think it looks exactly like the collaboration with a patient. In fact, that's one of the mm. things we often tell the teams that. You know, technology is great and devices you wear or sleep on or put around your head or on your underwear waistband, they're awesome. They're figure out how fast you run and how many steps you've taken that day or calories you burned or the ketones in your urine. Like, I love it. It's all awesome. Right. But what it really boils down to at the end is is that guy or that gal is just a just a patient. Um, mm. and, and, and so um, for one of the things we're trying to you know, make sure that the team is not doing is investing a ton of money in tech, but not in sort of a clinical relationship with this thing. It's like, a, hmm. I don't know, buying a massive seven Tesla MRI, but you've got no radiologist to read it. So you're making these beautiful pictures of spleens and pancreases and brains, but nobody knows what they mean. 
Hmm. Um, and so I, I think that the first thing we're trying to do within a team is just kind of create a culture where we're talking about sleep all the time. Um, and, and we're doing it in a way that's supportive. We're not judging people. We're trying to be problem solvers about things and not that sort of old school mentality of just take some more greenies and drink some more caffeine. It'll be fine. Like nobody wants to hear you complain about your sleep. And so I really think that athletes today think a lot about their sleep. They think about these variables they can control, their nutrition, um, the way they train their bodies, their mindfulness. And so to me, sleep's that fourth pillar of those things that the athlete has a lot of control over and the team has a lot of control over. So hmm. the first step is really just kind of creating within that organization or feeling out, do you all really care about sleep in your athletes or is this just a box you're checking? And then once you do, it just becomes like a collection of a lot of patients. You know, a lot of them are sleeping just fine, don't have a problem. So we're trying to take those players and sort of fortify their sleep against the problem that's coming in six months. I mean, I, mm. I always look at everybody in this world as people who have sleep problems or people who are about to have them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so, uh, oh, and so, it, so, and, uh, but, so it's, it's good though, but you know, to me, that should be comforting though. Like but, but, there, there's an opportunity to say like, you know what? It's not just me. It's no, a human God. thing to have some it, bad nights of sleep. Absolutely. You bet yeah. it is. It's sort of, you can look at every city in this, in this country as a city with good water supply or a threatened water supply. Mm, you know, so go. instead of waiting for the city with threatened water supply to be out of water and be like, okay, now what do we do? Let's, let's start working on it now. Let's get some things in place that when, you know, there is a catastrophe or a drought that we've kind of made, we've, we sort of uh, ensured that a little bit. And, and that's why I like working with athletes who are sleeping well. Because, mm. you know, what's your plan for if you have a couple nights here coming up where things don't go well? There's some people who are like, oh, yeah, that happens. I just will read a book. I don't really care. But other people are on the verge of a real problem. Playoffs come yeah. around and something bad happens. You know, we want to make sure that they're educated and ready for it. Because the readiness is really a big part of alleviating that anxiety. You know, if you know something, it's like you hit the curveball. Like, He's sure. got to throw a curveball. Hey, Astros. The Astros know it's coming because they're cheating and picking up signs from everybody. Like those <laughs> wires up in their jerseys and so like, well, shit, he is hitting a curveball is a piece of cake when you're like, a curveball's coming. Okay, well, you great. Know it's coming. It's coming. Like, so I want people to be that same way with, hey, this this curveball in your sleep's coming. Oh, no problem. I know exactly what to do in that situation. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and you know, you, you said this a couple times, a couple different ways in the book. It's it's more about like your interpretation of um you know yeah. whatever like sleep difficulty that you're having like it's it's gonna and now these are my words like it's gonna be as big of a deal as you make it and i can kind right. of relate to that um like i said you know my, my big issue is not falling asleep it's that waking up in the middle of the night ugh, alarm's gonna go off in three four hours um you know and when that was like happening consistently like i said i've had three kids so th there's very few years of good sleep here but now that they're sleeping kind of like oh man maybe some of this is on me and it's not on like these little rugrats <laughs> who are waking up every hour and a half um but initially it was like oh man a lot of stress and anxiety when that would happen and it's, it would take me hours but lately and now look i've talked to a number of sleep doctors by way of this podcast so i'm yeah. changing my approach a little bit i've i've been able to kind of what you're saying in that last example it doesn't bother me so much. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm, I'm going to read a book or I'm going to watch a little family guy because that's something I like to do. And I find that I'm like falling asleep yeah. 25 minutes later. On the I'm like, oh God, I need to go back to bed. Um, and I you think stop only, trying, you know what yes, I mean? You're I, trying to watch family thing. guy and figure out what is the outcome of this plot? Like I'm trying that that's what I'm trying to do now. Right. Versus as soon as I get into the bed, do you have the mindset of, um, it's to me, the, the example I always give is, you're waiting for your kid to figure finish something up and you're standing around there's a gymnasium there and there's a ball and you start shooting free throws just for fun it's an empty gym you're waiting you got 20 minutes to kill right before you're so you make eight out of ten free throws like wow we're pretty good like you but that's a very different situation for some people when the game's on the line like i think about mm. kyle guy making the three free throws in the national championship that won uva my alma mater the 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 basketball championship I think, wow, that guy just nailed three critical free throws to win a game. The high stakes. Yeah. I mean, now, it's the same yeah. as me shooting the eight out of 10 in the little empty gym waiting around for my kid. 
but I can guarantee you, you know, as, as much as I've got sleep down to a science, I would never have made that. I, I would have not even hit the rim, but it's still, mm. I, it's rubber ball and iron hoop. But how much psychological overlay do you put on it? You know, it's, you fall asleep watching Family Guy, but you walk 20 feet and get into a bed, but can't fall asleep in that situation. Why? I always mm. ask people who take sleeping pills, I'm like, do you nap? Oh, yeah, I fall asleep all the time watching TV. What pill? I always ask, what sleeping pill do you take for the family guy when you fall asleep? They're like, oh, I don't take a sleeping pill when I watch family. Oh, oh, so you don't take a sleeping pill when you watch family guy to fall asleep. But when you go to bed, you got to take it. Why? Like, what's the difference? Right. And you're like, I don't know. Well, of course, you, you know, it's because it's a it's a pressure you're putting yourself under. Yeah. You know? and, 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 and that's something we have to address. You, you know, I always tell people, I want my patients to at least be neutral about the situation. Hmm. I actually love being in bed awake. Like I've always found, even when I was little, thought was like it's like a, it's like a little clubhouse that I'm allowed. You know, you know, we used to go out in woods and we build like forts that are rickety and dangerous with you know, rusty nails sticking out. Then you right. build the fort and then you sit in it. Like the building of it, it was the big thing. Once you got the thing done, you're sitting in there and you're like, okay, what well, now do we do? I guess you, you know, look at a comic book or something. I have no idea. Right, like right, that right. was the whole point. Then you got you lose interest in it, but. I always feel I just love that little feeling of just being in a little clubhouse at night. You can think about whatever you want to think about, and nobody's bothering you, taking your money, or emailing you <laughs> car insurance warranty bullshit. Uh, like, you know, so I just love it. You know, so when you get when you're running towards waking up at three o'clock in the morning and be awake versus running away from it, it it really changes things quite dramatically. Hmm. And so you know. Um, Beyond just some random podcaster telling people like, "Hey, just guys, just chill out. You'll sleep better." Like, what what sort of what sort of approaches um, do you take with your patients to kind of like help them get over maybe some of that anxiety? Like, yeah. you talked a little bit about like helping the athlete prepare for the playoffs that are coming up. Hey, yeah. your nerves are going to be high. Like, be aware that there's a good chance, like you know, you're going to have a tough time falling asleep. You know, for someone in everyday life, um, a high performer in their own right, like. What yeah. sort of things like are at their disposal? Well, I think one thing that really changes and affects sleep is we talk a lot about eight hours. You sleep on a bed called eight sleep, and there's where the eight came from. I get your eight hours. And that's fantastic as a population, an adult population norm. But how much sleep does you know Emmett James from Alexandria, Virginia need? Um, 57 year old, you know, economics teacher at a high school. Like I, so a lot of times insomnia comes from, and when you think about insomnia and sleep deprivation, they're really different. Insomnia is often an individual who needs this much sleep, you know, seven hours, but seeking nine. Cause hmm. he read in a men's health magazine one time that if you got nine hours sleep, it boosts your testosterone, gives you more of a chance to get a six pack. So he's all in nine hours is for me. Yeah. doesn't necessarily mean he can sleep nine hours. He's not genetically programmed for it. I, I could buy two pizzas for lunch tomorrow that are extra large and loaded with pizza. Just because I bought the pizza doesn't mean I can eat it. You know, So right. I can have the expectation. I'm, I'm doing it. Two pizzas for lunch today. Now. <laughs> Here we go. More meat. Thicker crust. Let's do this thing. And you get halfway through your first, like, oh, my God, I'm going to throw up. So yeah. it, it's fine to have that expectation. So the, the flip side is sleep deprivation. That's the person who needs – nine hours and gives himself seven every day, you know, usually has no problem sleeping, but it having a little bit of trouble staying awake at work or maybe, you know, nodding off at stoplights. Hmm. So it's very important in both of those situations that I need to make sure that the amount of sleep that you're seeking is in fact the amount of sleep that you need. Um, it's like calories. If you're consuming, you know, 5,800 calories a day, and you only need about 2,700, you will gain weight. Hmm. If you need 5,800 because you're Michael Phelps, an Olympic swimmer, and you're consuming about 2,000 a day, that's not going to work out very well either in a very different way. So it's all about managing the expectation and sometimes just blessing somebody and saying, you know what? It's okay instead of going to bed at 9 o'clock with your alarm clock set for 6, yeah. not, go to bed at 10 o'clock or maybe even 10.30. Like, mm -hmm. and it's amazing. I mean, people come in and say, you know, it takes me two hours to fall asleep every night. Why do you go to bed at nine o'clock? 
I don't know. Like I just, that's when I've always gone to bed. Like that's what my grandmother told me that if I didn't go to bed at nine o'clock, terrible things would happen. You know, like I, it's weird where people get their information. It's kind of like I go to lunch every day at 10, but I don't order until noon. I had to sit there right. and irritate waitresses. Like, no, <laughs> you go to the way you, know, you go to the restaurant when you're hungry. Like, and if you're not hungry, my guess is you wouldn't even go. Do you, what would well, you, what'd you order at the restaurant today? I, I, you know, I, I really wasn't that hungry. So I just skipped it. Oh my God. Right we've got to get you to a hospital right away because you are beginning the process of starving to death, said nobody ever. Like, <laughs> So we, we have this inherent belief in our body that we could skip a lunch, dear God, skip our lunch and be mm. just fine. In fact, you wouldn't even bring that up at dinner. Oh, guess what happened last week? What? I skipped lunch. It was the fucking weirdest thing in the world. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. It was like lunchtime came around and Pete and Carol went out to the restaurant. I was like, I'm not hungry. And I stayed back. And nothing happened it was crazy like you would it wouldn't even it wouldn't even be a conversation piece right it it would be like that is the norm you know the conversation piece would be i met this guy and he's never skipped a meal in 58 years of living on this earth right really really proud about it like and he talked a lot of you like that's weird like you know like so we have this belief that we have a average thing that's happened during the day but the little weird exceptions are okay when it comes to missing a meal or maybe not getting the hydration you need during the day or skipping a workout at the gym my right. god you go to bed at 11 o'clock and you're still awake at 11 30 that that is not a good good thing whole, for some people whole week is shot really <laughs> well that's so right. so so for some you know yeah, for most true. people the average person how um how do you know when you're getting enough sleep? Like what oh, sorts of question. things can yeah. you pay attention to? Yeah. yeah. I would say, are you still awake out there? Oh, there you you go. know, so there's, there's one, like, I mean, to me, the, there's something called an Epworth sleeping scale. I, I put it in my first book. It's in my second book, the, the kid version. You can look it up. You don't need to buy my book to see it. Um, hmm. E-P-W-R-T-H. And that's the thing that a lot of sleep doctors use to try to get a more objective sense of somebody's sleepiness. If you uh, were lying down to rest in the afternoon, how likely would it be for you to fall asleep? No chance, slight chance, 50-50 definite. If you were the passenger in a car for an hour without a break, how likely would it be for you to fall asleep? No chance, slight chance, 50-50 definite. So it's eight eight scenarios, and you answer Mm. somewhere between no chance to forget it. I'm definitely falling asleep. So if somebody scores high on that, they're saying there's big likelihoods that they would fall asleep in a lot of these situations – that always indicates that your sleep quantity or quality is deficient. Mm. So if somebody says, oh my God, I really can't read. I have patients who say I can't read because if I sit and read, I'll fall asleep. I had a young woman who built a desk on a treadmill because mm. she couldn't do her homework without falling asleep. She was an engineering student somewhere. And so she realized, you know, if I just put a piece of wood on a treadmill I can walk like three, four miles an hour and do my work and never fall asleep. I had a professor who said, I can't grade my students' papers without walking around my office. So I've just taken all the chairs out of my office. And I just walk around and do my work. <laughs> you know, so that would, those kinds of things would be a great indication that maybe you're not getting enough sleep. I had a truck driver yeah. rolled his hair up into his window. So if he fell asleep, it jerked his hair and it kept him awake. <laughs> driving, you know, so... Why are you doing that? Well, because sometimes I, I not off when I drive. Okay, why are you nodding off when you drive a, a big rig? It's probably because you're not getting enough sleep or you're getting yeah. enough sleep or something wrong with it. So those things are important because that to me is a big problem. Hmm. And it's interesting because the woman who built the desk on the treadmill is kind of like, kind of this look like, doesn't everybody build desks on treadmills? <laughs> no, they right. don't. Right. That is not a thing, sweetheart. So the thing of it is, they look at the discussion that we have in this culture about sleep, which is can't sleep, can't fall asleep, sleeping pills, melatonin, melatonin, gummy bears, melatonin, gummy bears on a stick, whatever. Like, and they're thinking, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm great at sleeping. I can sleep mm. anywhere. I, I, I fell asleep one time during a, you know, Maroon Five concert. You know, right. and, and so they're looking at that as sleep expertise like graduate yeah. level sleep you know versus right. no that's really problematic sleep and so mm. the people who really probably need help are getting reinforced by the universe that they're awesome like man i can lay down on gravel and fall asleep i'm so right. good at sleep 
versus no, you need the help and your partner who's frustrated that she can't fall asleep in 2.2 seconds like you can has the problem. No, she's probably more normal than you are. But then again, Uh, there's that metric of speed of sleep. It's kind of like saying, oh man, that dude, he's super nutritious, great eater. He's got, you got this great nutrition plan. Oh really? How do you know? I've seen him eat dinner. He ate his entire dinner one time in in three (laughs) minutes. I saw, I saw it with my own eyes. I can't, I I, I wish I could do that. I wish I could eat my whole dinner in three minutes because I could be really healthy like that guy. There's nothing about eating your dinner in three minutes that makes you healthy. There's nothing about falling asleep in two seconds before your head hits the pillow that makes you a great sleeper. Probably means you've got sleep problems Hmm. because you're so driven. It's like, man, that guy's eating food out of a trash can. He's doing well. No, he's not. He's starving to death and he's not getting enough food. So he is making the determination that the food out of the trash can is a better choice than what I've got going on here, which is starving. So I'm going to do it. So there's nothing good about that. That guy needs help. He needs somebody to help him get some food that is good and nutritious because he's desperate. And that's what a desperate sleeper looks like. Yeah. You know, you know what I struggle with a little bit too. So on the one hand it's, it's, um, What's a good example? I mean, it's like meditation in some ways, you know, it's like, oh, you want to be great at it. It's like, yeah, so sit there and like do less, <laughs> you know, like right. do, no. not, do not do nothing to be better. And, and the thing I think that, um, you know, that I've kind of been thinking about more often is like, man, like, you know, the more we understand about the negative implications that come along with sleep deprivation very concerning. And so I think in addition to just like, Hey, I want to show up, I want to be an awesome dad. I want to crush it at work. I want to, you know, I want to do this podcast, have great energy when I do all that. Um, it's like, man, you know, there's some people in my family who either had dementia or Alzheimer's and God, now they're telling me that if I'm not getting quality sleep or enough sleep, like increases. So it's, it's this weird kind of like dichotomy where it's like, Hey, you need to just chill out and let it happen, you know? And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but um, but also it's like, Hey, but this is might be the most important thing that you could do sure. for your emotional and physical well being. So it's Absolutely. like, and, and that's important, but it, it does bear reminding that when you've encountered sleep deprivation, hmm. it doesn't look like a person who can't sleep. It's sort of like water deprivation. I'm lost in the woods. I'm trying to extract little bits of water out of ferns or whatever I saw on a Bear Grylls show one time. And then seven days later, I am rescued. You you got that, you know, in in the movies that are all like chapped lips and kind of like white looking, you know, know, and the rescue, oh my God, we found Dr. Winter. An idiot got lost in the woods trying to, you know, sleep out in the woods. Here's a water bottle. No, thanks. No, thanks, fellas. I'm good. You know, I thought I wanted the water bottle, but now that you're giving it to me, I really, really don't. That's not how water <laughs> deprivation works. Like, <laughs> that's what, what. So when when people are fearful of sleep deprivation, which you should be, you're yeah. working two jobs and you decide, you know what I'm going to do between my two jobs instead of sleep, I'm going to drive an Uber. And I'll mm. make even more money. And, you know, Listen, you can do that, but you've got to set aside the time to sleep. Because if you don't, you will put yourself into a place where you're sleep deprived. We were sleep deprived in residency. We were on call every other night. That's illegal now. Man, that's I was the thing a that mess. Astounding. I was making all kinds of bad decisions and felt terrible. And my kids come across pictures of me from that point in my life, like, Dad, oh my God, Dad, you look terrible. Like, and I do. I look awful, like ill and kind of despondent and. <laughs> Well, the irony that it, that it's like the, the medical profession. Oh God, is, yeah, is, so is the one asking so people bad. to do this like incredibly unhealthy. Yeah, you know, you right. like you talk about like shift work. So that's where uh, somebody like me could go back in time and walk onto that ICU ward and say, "You're killing the residents." Like, mm. if if the residents continue to do this for the next twenty years, you're going to shorten their lives. And we know that we, we know the dangers of shift work and that kind of stuff. Um, but if you went around and talked to everybody and said, tell me about your sleep, we were all falling asleep on our feet. Nobody was sitting around the call room saying, oh, man, I could not sleep last night. Like That was not what was happening. It was we would sleep like. We would we'd go in closets and try to sleep. I one time went into the bathroom and just 
sat on the toilet and put my head down on the toilet bowl thing. And it was like, I think I can fall asleep. And I just get five minutes. We'll get five minutes. We'll right. sit my little pager to wake me up in five minutes and walk out. And you know, nobody's asked questions. You've been in the bathroom for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants to know about that, but I was yeah. there to sleep. I mean, there's, you know, so it just, oh. but it wasn't like, oh man, really struggling hours and hours to fall. No, that is not what was happening at that point because that's not what sleep deprivation looks like. So I want people to understand what you can control is your schedule. You can set aside the time from 11 to 7 to sleep. Yeah. Once you've done that and you're disciplined about it, nobody touches it. I was always impressed with my middle child, my son, who's the swimmer, because it didn't matter what was going on in his life in high school. He went to bed at 10. Hmm. He's like, okay, I'm going to bed. Because he had to get up and swim, you know, whatever. I'm like, right, right, right. don't you have a big calculus test tomorrow? He's like, yeah. I'll figure it out. He was always, I'll figure it out. I don't know what that means. Like you go study in the water or something like that. But it, just, it, just, it didn't matter. Like I'll take the B minus. It doesn't, I, I'm not going to choose staying up late over that versus yeah. my oldest is my daughter. I'm going to walk into a room one time at two in the morning. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I got to make a poster. I'm like, for what? Driver's head. And I looked at this poster and it was like this goddamn work of art. Like, like the, the turn signal, the, the assignment was, do the interior of a car steering wheel turn signals cigarette light i don't know what the radio right right right, right. cruise control and hers was like functional like when you push this little thing the lights <laughs> blink i'm like sweetheart my dad was a phys ed teacher driver's ed teacher football coach i'm like bill winner does not give a damn about this poster just draw a circle right steering right. wheel and go to bed yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But again, there's that type A perfectionist got to be the so she'll be like the president of something else, and you know she'll not get any sleep and be irritated and have all kinds of health problems because they never listened to her dad. But like, <laughs> she got an A on the poster, you know, because hey. that's what you need in driver's ed, the A plus. Yep. Colleges look at that. Well, we're not really <laughs> pleased with your A minus in driver's ed here, so we're gonna kick you on down to the lesser colleges. So hope you had a good safe. Hope you had a good safety. That's story. right. Yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. In driver's ed. Uh, oh man. Well, Doctor Winter, Chris, this was uh, this was a lot of fun, and yeah. I, I hope. I mean, I hope helpful. It's certainly helpful for me, uh, and I sincerely mean that. So we we talked a little bit about your book. For for people who want to know uh, more about you or, or follow you, where where can I direct them? Yeah, so uh, the book, The Rested Child, Why You're Tired, Wired to Irritable Child, May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help. That's my new book. Uh, they're available wherever books are sold. There is an audio version of it if you like the cool timbre of my voice. My first book is The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It. Again, both on Amazon, Kindle, Audible. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, kind of TikTok, but not really. I don't feel like I'm too old for TikTok, but it's it's all Dr. Chris Winter, Doctor Chris Winter. So I try to put good stuff, particularly on my Twitter. Twitter I really try to put good studies and information on sleep, and Instagram Excellent. a little bit more fun with that. And um, yeah, so yeah, follow me, DM me, tell me what you think about stuff, and um, yeah, if you have something positive to say in my book, I'd love to hear that. It always makes my day. I can feel like I can help somebody. But I really appreciate your platform being able to get in here and talk about sleep and hopefully give somebody out there who's struggling and, and really in a dark place a little bit of hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, and this is, I'm sure, not news to you. I can't even tell you how many people I come across. Daily life, people who like shoot me a note through the show. I mean, sleep comes up all the time. I mean, it's the best, isn't it? It was such a yeah. was so dumb luck that I got into this field. I was like, sleep or spleen disorders. And thank God I went sleep <laughs> instead of, because there's a lot of conversation about sleep and not so much right. about, there's some spleen expert out there. I always think about him at home and like, you know, his podcast failed and, you know, his, his uh, graphic novels not selling very well. And he's just so bitter. Like that damn Dr. Winters thinks he's so great with sleep and sleep. You know, I went with spleen. So <laughs> time magazine uh, disorders of the spleen in the checkout aisle. <laughs> doctor of the year. That's right. He's doctor That's of the right. year. Uh, well, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back on in the future if you're up for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I'd be, I would love to It'd be a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. You bet.